You're listening to the UI podcast by the Swedish Institute of International Affairs. All right. Good evening and uh, welcome to this seminar on sustainable consumption and production from a global perspective. Uh, this seminar is organized in cooperation with the Swedish Institute of International Affairs together with the Museum of World Culture, where we are right now. So we are very happy to be in Gothenburg tonight. Um, this seminar will be recorded and published as the UI podcast. So please have a look at our website in the next couple of days. And if you would like to tweet, please use the hashtag UI event, or you can tag World Culture Sui, that's the museum's account, or UI Sweden. My name is Stephanie Esk. I work as program manager at the Swedish Institute of International Affairs, and I will be moderating tonight's seminar. Um, tonight, we will discuss consumption and production, a pressing question that urgently needs to be addressed. We are currently facing what some like to call a state of climate crisis. And this is a, indeed a shared responsibility and a global issue. Increased levels of consumption in the West impacts the so-called global South on multiple levels, since a high share of, its, um, of the production is situated there. It raises questions of all three pillars of sustainability, the social, economic and ecologic. Um, even though Sweden is some, sometimes um, perceived as a forerunner in terms of climate ambitions and politics, the UN Sustainable Development Goal number 12, the one we will discuss here tonight in particular, uh, is also one where Sweden faces a large or a big challenge. Um, on a global scale, however, these goals calls for a wider perception and uh, understanding in the light of development issues and prosperity. How can we achieve a transition to sustainable consumption and production pattern? Um, to discuss these issues, I have an excellent panel. Um, I have to my left, Sanjida Shamsherilora, she's a researcher at Swedwatch. And to her left is Alexander Schabai. Uh, he's a senior policy advisor on sustainable consumption at Naturskyddsföreningen, the Swedish Society for Nature Conservation. Um, they will both get to introduce themselves um, a bit more in a minute. Um, Sanjida and Alexander have both prepared a presentation each. It will be followed by a discussion and then we will open up um, for questions from you in the audience. Um, so Sanjida, please, the floor is yours. Yeah, so <laughs> uh, my name is Sanjida Shamshir. Uh, uh, originally, I'm from Bangladesh, uh, but I am working at Sweetwatch as a researcher since 2014. And my area of interest or my focus here at Sweetwatch is always uh, in global any supply chain linked to Bangladesh. So I worked with uh, garments and apparel sector as well as uh, tobacco grow, uh, worked with the tobacco growers, uh, farmers in Bangladesh as well. 
So I will talk a little bit about that. Uh, so first I will start talking about Bangladesh, uh, where is the country and how it looks like. And then I will talk about my organization, uh, Sweetwatch, how we work and what we work with and what are our methods. And then I will, uh, with the 20 minutes, then I will give a little bit of a glance that what are the cases that I have been working with since 2014, or Sweetwatch is working with from before as well. So Bangladesh is a country of 160 million people with the size of one third of Sweden. So it's the very uh, dense populated country, but we have the largest uh, unbroken natural sand beach, coastal beach, which, which is 150 miles and However, the country is mostly low-lying. That makes the country vulnerable to any climate-related disasters, for example, sea level rise or floods or any type of cyclones, uh, those type of disaster, which impacts not only the biodiversity of the country, but mostly the population and living in the coastal areas who are economically, of course, not that much well off. So Hans, Professor Hans Rosling once termed Bangladesh as a miracle country because he magically presented that uh, in during 80, 1980s, the birth of the children from, from uh, 1980s, the birth of children went down. So during 80s, it was almost seven children per women, and it went down in 2014. It's only 2.5 children per women. So he showed that even the mortality rate also decreased. He showed that how Bangladesh could go from seven children to 2.5 children. Uh, in 2018 progress report that uh, Bangladesh presented to the sustainable to present a sustainable development goals and its progress and the process how the B Bangladesh will achieve uh, sustainable development goal by 2030 uh, this report also states that the mortality rate of below five year children are 31 uh, for per 1,000 birth. So if 1,000 children are born, only 31 dies under the age of five. And for the neonatal mortality rate, it's 17 per 1,000 birth. And which shows that we have, all, Bangladesh has already achieved uh, these two targets. And these are the indicators of the health related uh, uh, goal, sustainable development goal. The World Bank has also upgraded its development, uh, Bangladesh's development uh, issues and pro uh, progress in uh, 2019 April. And it confirmed or declared that uh, Bangladesh is one of the five top uh, 
uh, fastest growing economy, where Bangladesh has so showed uh, seven per plus percent of economic growth. And the main contributor for this growth was manufacturing sector, uh, construction sector, and the remittance. So the, uh, the ready-made garment industry has contributed the most in this development. The goal of Bangladesh is to reach its uh, middle-income uh, level status by 2021. That's the goal for Bangladesh. So for that goal, Bangladesh government has realized that uh, the private role of private sector, they can contribute the more and also the foreign direct investment. The contribution from foreign direct investment can only these, if we can ensure or secure these two, the growth of these two sec sectors, then we, uh, Bangladesh can reach the goal of being middle income country by 2021. So by now, the foreign direct investment is less than 1%, but the economists and experts has confirmed that if, if Bangladesh can secure at least 6% for its direct investment, then uh, it is possible to achieve that goal. So Bangladesh has made a lot of policy change, significant policy reform for that, uh, all, uh, and taken um, steps where the private sector are encouraged to invest more and to do more business in Bangladesh. Uh, but when the businesses moves globally, when the business global businesses moves oper operate in different countries, uh, the main reason behind the moving or m behind uh, exploring different countries are low cost labor, low cost of labor, and abundance of raw materials and very weak uh, rules of law. But then it has its cost. This business as usual model has uh, resulted lots of industrial disaster. For example, uh, Tazreen factory fire in Dhaka uh, and in 2012, and a building structure collapsed in 2013 in outskirt of Dhaka where there were f uh, several factories were hosted in this building. And in, for both cases, with, this, with these two accidents, more than 1,100 people were killed. But for both cases, the m common factor was these factories and these people were producing products or producing clothes, ready-made garments for the global buyers, for European buyers. So there are negative impacts when it comes to the business as usual. And with the aim of minimizing these negative impacts on the business and humor for, from the business on human rights, Sweetwatch was founded in 2003. Uh, so it's a non-profit organization and we have six organizations in our, on our board and they are also our member organization and Swedish Society for Nature Conservation. Um, my colleague who will 
talk a little bit later. Uh, they are also part of our board and our member organization. We, are, we investigate and monitor uh, how the businesses are doing, uh, if the businesses or the private sector or investments are uh, complying with the international norms and standards while doing business uh, in African, Asian, or Latin American countries, and what are their impacts on the human rights, and how these businesses end, how these uh, investments are minimizing or contrib uh, minimizing the negative impact, as well as contributing to the positive development of that country where they are sourcing from or producing their product. So we do investigation. We go to the, f we, when we work in a country, we always work with the local partners. So we always have a partner or NGO or like-minded journalist or uh, some kind of link with the local context so that we can understand better the language, the culture, uh, how to pose question, what to ask, who to ask, what not to ask, so that when we go and when we travel to those countries, the people, the right holders who are affected, they can, by that time, our local par partner could build a trust between them so that when we go there, they don't feel that, oh, some f a bunch of foreigner came and asking lots of questions, but they build that relationship. For me, the advantage, I would say, that I was always mostly worked in Bangladesh. So for me, this was an advantage that I am from Bangladesh. I speak the language. I look like them. So they trust me more than maybe my Swedish colleague. Uh, so this helped, this also helped me a lot to uh, find out the real problems, the real stories, and to verify what they are saying. So what we also do is we verify all the cases, all the stories, so that we don't only present something one-sided. So if we hear something that, oh, my child cannot go to school because he, this, they have to go to uh, work, then we always, always, always talk to the teachers that is it true or not? How is your attendance situation? So even with the government officials, with the local suppliers, uh, local NGOs, other organizations who are working in this sector, uh, business partners, managers, we try to verify, cross-check, gather more information. So when we come back to Sweden and start communicating with the companies, we have the real fact and the full picture of the fact. Uh, <clears throat> so we write reports, we publish reports, and all our reports are publicly available at our website. Uh, we do roundtables, seminars, and also we present our results or, uh, to many, many bigger EU level or national or international panels. Uh, the more uh, transparency in this whole system is as soon as we have a case and we start writing the case, if we, when we are make, start making the draft, we start communicating with the company. So the companies know that this is the issue we are addressing, and then they, they, they answer all, 
they, we, they are then willing to answer our questions. So they do not feel that we are shaming them. Instead, they feel that we are trying to help them in minimizing their impacts in, in different issues. So that is how we work with the companies here. So Swedwatch looks at the entire supply chain. For example, if there is a company, we will investigate their supplier level. If this is just the direct supplier, but there could be a second tier supplier or third tier supplier. So we also investigate in that level. So we go until the raw, level, raw, raw material level. So we also look at if there is a mining uh, involved in this company, if it's a um, uh, agricultural food produ producing food or growing food. So any kind of cha uh, supply chain which can go from supply level to raw material level. And then there is also another sector we also look at, like the companies, if they are selling their product to a company or to a country where it can impact the people as well. So for example, if a big tractor or truck are sold to a mine, we, we also, in our researchers also investigate if that uh, people who are working in that mine if they, how they are impacting. Uh, it's, it looks like a little bit far, but it has a very direct connection when the uh, reports that we have produced, we have elaborated that more. So here are some examples of my work or our Swedwatch work about Bangladesh. Uh, we looked at the uh, women workers. Uh, it's, Bangladesh garment sector is very uh, big. Uh, it's more than 4,000 factories that are exporting, that produce goods or uh, ready-made clothes to export, and 3.5 million people are working in the industry. So within that uh, three point, um, more than 50% of the workers are women. So it's a very good industry for the women. Uh, the women has also economic empowerment and also they can now decide in their family. So they, they have increased, this job or employment opportunity has increased uh, women empowerment and women's capacity to make decisions for them, for the family, for their children. On the other hand, we looked at uh, that how the working condition uh, is inside the factory. So we looked at the women's condition, uh, their reproductive health. We looked at their about their children. It's not the child labor. We looked at the children whose parents are working in the factories. How are those children? What are the impacts? it is when their parents are working, what are the impacts on the, these children? And then we also, last year, we looked at the negotiation power. Uh, if, the, if the workers had that capacity to negotiate for their employment, terms of employment, if they have the collective bargaining or how their freedom of opinion, freedom of association play roles. So very common features are that we saw from the beginning, it's still a lot to do, but it's, we have seen that excessive overtime, people work 10 to 12 hours, uh, low wage, and that is Bangladesh has one of the lowest wage for the workers uh, in the world. 
Uh, the children uh, cannot have three meals a day. Uh, they live in a cramped room which lacks basic services. Uh, in one room, maybe f a family of five or six, they have to share the toilets with other six, seven families. They have to share the kitchen with other six and seven families. So electricity, uh, clean and fresh drinking water, clean uh, toilets, all their practically lack of basic services. So uh, I can go on and on with the problems, but this is just an, some examples of what we found and then we, how we communicated with these factors with the companies. And then many companies have taken steps in their policies. Many companies are, they have increased their social investigation, their social auditing. Uh, they also started uh, uh, the environmental impact auditing as well. So when these factories produ uh, produce, the water, the waste, clothes, everything, they just, it directly goes to either on the land or on the water bodies, which also impacts not only the particular land or water bodies, the biodiversity of that area, as well as it impacts the health of the people, the communities living around those areas. So these are some of the photos that how these people, their residents look like. This is the kitchen. And we also looked at, do I have time? Yeah. Um, we also looked at the tobacco industry and I wanted to uh, bring two examples so it doesn't feel that only the garment industry has all these impacts. But here we looked at the British American tobacco, the UK based uh, company, tobacco company, and they were uh, growing, they still grow tobacco through Bangladeshi farmers, so they made contract with Bangladeshi farmers and then they, the farmers grow tobacco. So the, when the, maybe you already have some idea that when the agricultural system work, it's very common that you work with the family. It's a, it's a family uh, in intense, labor intense job. So it, they don't think it separately that, oh, if my wife is working or if my child is working because it, all the agriculture, all the food production, anything, when you do uh, go for an agricultural business or agribusiness, it's, it's everybody works together. But for tobacco, the main problem is when they work a lot of, we saw a lot of child working, but then they contract the farmers and then these farmers, they have to hire laborers because it's very labor intense work to grow tobacco and those, workers, they do not have any kind of contract because it's all verbal and it's all day. Okay, I need 10 people today, can you work? They can work. They don't know what they will do tomorrow. They have no uh, contract. They have n no system in that way that what kind of benefit they will get if they get sick, what will ha happen, how they will be compensated. They're there is no structure for this entire system. So the tobacco impact has the le level of farmer. It also impact the hired laborer. 
and then also impact the entire community because tobacco, when you grow tobacco and in Bangladesh, the system that British American tobacco uh, follow or use in Bangladesh that they dry the tobacco, uh, they burn the wood and with that heat, they have to uh, dry the leaves. So it needs a lot of woods from the forest. So farmers or laborers or community people cut the wood from the forest and then they bring it to, and then they sell it to the farmers as well. So this is another impact that, a huge impact that the tobacco growers uh, impact on, on the environment. And also they use a lot of pesticides and uh, fertilizer, which is chemically hazardous and hazardous to health for the kids because when the children works or the women works, they never wear any protective uh, equipments. They, they work with bare hands on, or they go to the field barefooted. So when the land is or tobacco plants are wet, that is when the nicotine naturally uh, contact, keep contacts with your skin and they can get skin disease and respiratory disease. So there might be disease in the lungs disease. So uh, we have also seen like uh, children at the age of primary school, maybe 10 to 12, they are carrying heavy loads. And most of the thing we have verified with the teachers that there are three months where it's harvesting time all the children, most of the farmers' children and laborers' children, they are they don't go to school because they have to work in the field for entire day, at least ten hours, at least eight to ten hours. So for that three months, the tobacco company, local staff, they always communicate with the school and they said that you have to give their attendance because they cannot, we cannot show that they are not going to the school. But when we finish this report, the, the next season we got report that now British American Tobacco is giving them proper contract. They are monitoring for child labor. They are monitoring that the kids are going to the school. So we, that, was, that was a big, uh, it's not something that I would upload to British American Tobacco, but at least what we were addressing, they started trying to minimize some of their impacts in that way. So there are lots of uh, um, agreements, international norms, regulations, standards uh, that we investigate our and we present our case against these standards. So we always weigh that if there is a case, if what are the standards in this, uh, in the guiding principles for human rights and business? What is the standard for human rights declaration? Or what are the standards for uh, Paris Agreement? So there are standards. There are also uh, impacts that can go beyond the planetary boundary. So I deliberately put Greta Thunberg's photo here because what she is saying is, Everything is there. I am not saying anything. You adults read and act. Exactly Sweetwatch is saying that. We are not saying anything. We are not giving any theory. It's all there. 
all the companies, all the resourceful, knowledgeable companies who are earning trillions of money, put your resource, use your resource, educate yourself, read what is written here and comply with the standards and act. That is what Sweetwatch is also saying. If not, if the business as usual go ahead and go with this for years, years and years, then we will not be able to achieve, Bangladesh will not be able to achieve any of the goals or most of the goals, especially the goals that are marked poverty, health, education, gender, clean water, and sustainable urban areas. It's not possible because many people are migrating for these industries to the urban areas and the urban area is not planned for such, to, co to accommodate such a huge amount of population. I think that's, uh, I stop here for now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that, uh, Sanjida. Uh, we'll get back you to you welcome. after Alexander's yeah. presentation. Yeah. Okay, thank you Please. so much. Um, I, I love listening to people that's smarter than I am. Uh, and I'm such a big fan of what Swedish is Also, I mean, it really shows. Oh, could you just back one? I also have that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it also, um, I mean, it shows how. I mean, both how extremely complex the, the global value chains are today, and also um, how I mean how how much it matters what we do when we when we shop, um, when we when we choose what we want to buy. Okay, um, so thank you. <laughs> My name is uh, Alexander, uh, and I work with Nocturcet Stenio, Swedish Society for Nature Conservation. Um, I've done a lot of work on on um, international climate policy before, and I'm uh, I'm quite good on environmental stuff and, and some other things. But I'm going to talk mostly about economy today, which is something that I'm not really good at, maybe, but but. I don't think that that should be a reason for me not to think about it. I, I, you know, quite quite the contrary. I think that we we all need to think about um, our, our economic systems and how 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 on earth, <laughs> literally, how on earth we 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 can sort this out um, in terms of uh, this this uh, unsustainable consumption patterns of today. Um, so I'm working with the Swedish Society for Nature Conservation. Um, and you know, there are two abbreviations I'm going to use constantly tonight. One is SSNC, which stands for the Naturkonservation. Um, and the other is SCP, which of course you know is Sustainable Consumption and Production. So, and also I just want to say I, I quite like I, I, I don't I don't do these sort of seminars often, but I, I very much enjoy doing them because when you work and I, I guess you can relate to this as well, or I guess most of you can. Wh when you work, you know you 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 write emails and talk on Skype. That's basically what I do. But every now and then you need to sort of come out and, and pressurize the theories you 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 got uh, behind your desk. So so 
this is me sort of trying out my ideas um, on, on economy and, and some other, other things. And that being said, I should also maybe start with a disclaimer, also since we're being recorded, that these are sort of, it's, it's like what you put on your, on your Twitter profile, that the tweets are my own, these, these, these thoughts are my own. Uh, the SSNC, we're, we're a big organization, we have almost 250,000 members, and we don't yet have a position on sustainable consumption. Um, we're, it's, it's on its way, eventually, but well, we're not really there yet. So that's my disclaimer. I'm starting with, with a disclaimer and ending with commercial, which I'll do, which is sort of a nice framing around consumption. So just sort of the, the, the broader context is that we today have a, um, have a situation where the, where the climate, climate movement has got sort of traction that we've never seen before. And very, very much thanks to, 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 to Greta. And, and parallel to this, we have the implementation of the Paris Agreement. It's ongoing, and we have increased recognition about the importance to address consumption and production systems. But we don't really, so it's, when, when addressing those systems, we need, we need to ask, ask some very difficult questions, some, some very uh, challenging questions that I don't really believe are being asked today. Have you heard about the Agenda 2030? So, as you know, it was adopted in 2015. It's a global set of goals to achieve a sustainable development. And under, mainly under target or goal 12, we have uh, sustainable consumption and production. Um, so, I think that there is a tendency to regard the Agenda 2030 as the answer to the question about life, the universe, and everything. And it's not. Um, it's important. It gathers policy, it gathers business, it gathers research around a common, common ambition, a, a common global cause. But it's also a result of a political process. It's, it needs to be understood as that. It's not sort of the, the recipe of what is needed in order to, to achieve a world in balance. So, I mean, it's, it's important. We should, of course, do everything we can to achieve the targets, but it's not everything. Um, and I think that SDG 12 on sustainable consumption production is sort of the perfect illustration for this. So within the mainstream SCP agenda today, there is a call of decoupling. Decouple GDP growth from environmental degradation. Decoupling is, is the means um, to continue business growth while lowering the amounts of resources put in. It calls for a profound transformation you can read this. It's, it calls for a profound transformation of business practices along the global value chains. But then when, when you sort of get to the nitty gritty, you can ask how, just how profound are the changes in business practices. In SDG 12, there's a specific, specific target for large corporations. It says they 
that large corporations should be encouraged to adopt sustainability practices and integrate sus sustainability information in their reporting cycle. Is that profound change? I'm going to leave that for you to linger on. When we sort of talk about implementation, we have the, the, the One Planet Network. It was set up as, as part of the 10-year framework on uh, sustainable consumption production. And it's comprised by civil society, by, by a business and by governments. And since the start, 2,000 activities have been registered as part of the, the One Planet effort. Out of these 2,000 activities, only 3% are related to SCP policy instruments. And over 40% are related to SCP communication, outreach, sort of mm, telling what should be, or saying what should be done, what should be done by others, but not necessarily how the profound change should happen. So there, there is such a grave need for substance, I think. In SDG 12, the role of, of governments is, it is recognized. It emphasizes the, the necessity of strong national frameworks. And this has led to 108 countries, or maybe around 110 now, I'm not really sure, but about 110 countries today adopting SCP relevant policies. And one of our, we asked one of our partners, um, Ebon International in the Philippines, to do a case study of three countries that has adopted SCP uh, policies. And they chose to, to study Kenya, Indonesia, and the Philippines. Uh, and, and in short, the, that was a big study, but in short, the, the results show a great uh, limitation of SCP policy. So in Kenya, sustainable development principles are embedded in the country's overall growth strategy. But it has, it has also enacted um, a mining policy which promotes sustainable mining um, and the impacts on, on industry, on, on its workers and the communities, it remains to be seen. In Indonesia, Indonesia is considered to be a leader of SCP in that region and they have a national strategy. But however, however on the other side, its government also plans to ex expand palm oil, oil production sites despite the, the, the um, impacts on communities and biodiversity. And the Philippines, also known for its, for its laws on the environment and, and how they, they, uh, they're good at implementing international commitments. Um, but they are also promoting foreign large-scale mining and, and coal-fired power plants. So there are a lot of limitations for the SCP policy, which, which is being implemented as part of the agenda. So one overall conclusion could be, could be that SCP needs to be reframed, um, that it needs to, to put people's rights and, and accountability of, gov of governments and of business in the center. Um, so this is a graph that shows the have you seen this before? It shows the ecological footprint 
which is sort of a calculation of emissions, resource use, and waste. And the Human Development Index, which is life expectancy, education, and income. It's, it's, it's not a perfect description of, of reality. But it, 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 I mean, it illustrates this. That this is where we need to be. This is the carrying capacity of the Earth. Uh, this is where we need to be in terms of biocapacity and human development. And we're, we're, not, we're not succeeding as of today. No country really manages to, to fit in that box. Um, and that sort of calls for questioning the development paradigm we're in, sort of the only development paradigm we know, which is growth. So since 1990, the, the world economy has grown about 270%. Uh, if we should keep the current economic model, it would take over 200 years to lift all people out of poverty. And that it would require an, an economy that is 175 times larger than the global economy today. And of course, that isn't possible. From time to time, we can sort of hear voices um, asking you know, us to shift focus from, from, from growth to redistribution policies. Um, hear voices that question how well does just the trickle down really work? And I mean, sort of the only thing I'm saying here today is that we need to, to think and we need to talk about how we should make sustainable development happen because we're not really doing that, making it happen today. So decoupling rests on the need for growth. But is, so, but you know, the, 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 the potential of absolute decoupling has been questioned lately, if it's really possible. And with today's rate of consumption, it takes 20 years for the global G GDP to double. And can we really count on more efficient processes? Uh, more efficient processes to, to really um, only rely on decoupling to, 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 um, um, to make this happen. So I think we need to talk about this. I think we need sort of clear, realistic alternatives to the economics agenda. If we really believe in decoupling, if we, if we really believe in decoupling, then why, why don't we put a cap on resources? When we've extracted, you know, a certain amount of ore, a certain amount of timber, a certain, certain amount of, of the different natural resources. When we've extracted a certain amount, that the cap is, is reached for the year. If we believe in decoupling, that shouldn't be a problem, I think. So I think that we need to also shift the discourse of sustainable consumption from the individual to the system. All consumption takes place in a, in a larger system that rests on social and cultural, political, economic norms. And we need to sort of, we need to approach the systems dimension of consumption. It's 
Of course, it's important what we choose when we buy it. Um, but it's, it's, that takes place in the larger system, which we, we need to acknowledge. So the way I see it, poverty is it's really about access. It's not really about ownership, but about access. Sustainable development is about how sustainable that access is. And I'm convinced that, that all efforts to achieve sustainable consumption that aren't also addressing, addressing questions around identity and, and belonging and community will miss its targets. I think that it's in these questions that the answers to you know, what, what is the real goal it's within those questions um, uh, that, that sort of the answers really lie. Mm, okay, I'm actually going to skip this one and move ahead to this one. So a couple of years ago, SSNC wanted to start a uh, a program on sustainable consumption in the global south, and the reason is really simple. It's uh, you know we're we all consume, we're all consumers, but when we discuss consumption at the global level, we have a tendency of getting stuck in you know, the image of the northern consumer and the southern producer. That exists, of course, but it's not the only, only truth. So we have partner uh, organizations, that's the uh, red and the blue markers. We have partner organizations in both medium countries and, in, and medium income countries and low income countries. And we have partners working in rural communities and in, and in urban communities. And we're looking at ways to reframe the SCP agenda, to put people and government ac accountability first. Um, and the other green, yellow, green dots, um, they refer to a campaign we run each year. It's called the Green Action Week. And we have about 50 organizations in 30 countries working with us on that. Um, and working to shape new ways of increasing access within planetary boundaries. So the theme for that campaign is sharing community, where we focus on how sharing increases access without necessarily pushing planetary boundaries but also on how sharing strengthens communities and builds relationships. So in the campaign, we've seen you know, practitioners from a wide array of fields sharing their knowledge. We've seen cooperation um, between groups and individuals that otherwise wouldn't have existed. We see a lot of um, knowledge sharing and, and sharing of stuff and upcycling and a lot of, a lot of um, activities that increase access to goods and services, but that access is increased through, um, through sharing. So if you'd like to know more about the campaign, you can visit greenactionweek.com, uh, .org, sorry. So finally, just to sort of wrap this up, um, I think that it's, you know, you can, quite an easy way to look at it is that consumerism, it comes from individual, individualism, and that is treated with 
collectivism. And I think that Green Action Week shows ways of increasing access to goods and services without, without having to buy new. Um, ways that are all based on community collaborations. So the last thing, since we're talking about consumption, is to end with commercial. Um, I, I don't know how many of you um, are members of SSNC or you know, think that we do good, good work, but one small action for October is to not um, shop. I mean, we, we can buy food and secondhand and stuff, and, and we can go to the movies, but maybe not buy stuff for October. If you think that is a good idea, you can you can sign up to that um, that event on Facebook. Quite quite a lot of people that's already done that, and that's I think what I what I have. So thank you for listening. Thank you both for these presentations. Um, you can come up, Sandita. To, I, was, I want to ask you if you have any initial comments on each other's presentations. Is there anything you would like to <laughs> say to each other? Uh, just uh, as, I, as I sort of said very briefly before, it's, how, it's, it's really striking how, how complex the value chains are. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that the, um, the methods, uh, the, the methodolo methodology of, of uh, how Swedish carries out its research is so important to really, you know, sort of get down to to the real uh, sort of what, what to really understand what is happening. How does these um, parts of that system affect each other? It's so important. Um, yeah. Uh, you also feel that what oh, Oh, sorry, what Alexander presented is uh, just to show that even we have this agenda and framework, but uh, still it's so complex and uh, just to convince the companies and understand that how these are, these plays their role. And even uh, when the sustainability development go goals were, um, signed or were taken as the international framework, uh, the then Secretary Ban Ki-moon said that uh, this multi role of multinationals or role of private sector is so important in achieving these goals. So for, for what Alexander presented is, it's all there and it's just maybe thinking broadly and understanding that in which smaller part we can start impacting or contributing positively and then go beyond. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think uh, what you mentioned, Sandida, with uh, like, why don't we act? We know we have all this knowledge and yet like here we are. And I think what you said, Alexander, with um, the reframing of sustainable consumption and production is also very crucial. But um, what would you say are the like main obstacles? I mean, we've been talking about challenges, and we have to think about this. Mm. But what's what's standing in the way? Would you say? <laughs> I would. Uh, I mean, we know that like 
growth generates wealth, or I mean, growth sort of makes it possible for redistributed politics to generate wealth. And we, s we know that, I mean, decoupling in theory, it's, it's a great theory, but we know that in practice it hasn't shown itself possible yet. Um, so we're stuck in a system that requires growth, but we're also, <laughs> but, but we also face a reality where growth as we know it today isn't possible. And to sort of, how to solve that million dollar question, it's, mm. it's, it's, that is difficult. And that is also why I think that we all need to sort of engage and think we, we don't have to be experts, we just need to sort of think about how, how we, as, as you know, members of, of humanity, should really sort this out. Yeah. It's, it's on that Greta yeah. Thunberg level, I think. <laughs> Um, do you have any comments on that? No, I would also say the Greta Thunberg <laughs> uh, statement that it's the fairy tale of economic growth. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, what Swedwatch also is trying to push the companies for working on their business models. So what I think is they need this entire systematic change in this whole model where it cannot work or go business as usual way. Uh, because now, uh, not only f the f to for just showing the greenwashing about what they are contributing as a philanthropic, but it has to be all the contribution or all the positive contribution and human rights issue and environmental issues should come in uh, as a culture of the business and not as a separate department working only to communicate the sustainability, how great the companies or investments are. Yeah. And I think um, you were also mentioning uh, progress taking place in Bangladesh. Mm -hmm. uh, you were talking about the ready-made garment sector with 50% being women. And uh, I know there's been um, discussion about uh, labor rights, mm -hmm. obviously, and some progress taking place. But would you like to elaborate a bit more about la uh, labor rights? Um, and also, I mean, there's been progress in terms of code of conduct, but if you look at implementation, yeah. like what do we see right uh, now? With the labor rights, it's, it's always tricky because when we have in Bangladesh, I'm, I, I maybe always refer to we as Bangladesh because still my, when I speak, even though for mm, this many years I'm living in Sweden, but in my mind, when I'm always referring to it, it becomes more we. So excuse me for that, even though I'm proud of <laughs> being Bangladeshi. But uh, uh, when, when we are very good at documentation. Bangladesh has very, very strong policies, laws, written document. But when it comes to the implementation, that is where uh, the challenge starts. And of course, it's a very weak rule of law, and that is why business can do their as usual business. And the government and the corruption is also a very big issue there. So even ILO is pushing for it, EU Sustainability Compact is pushing for it. There has been a lot of progress with the 
labor uh, law. Uh, the amended labor the labor law was uh, first enacted in 2006 but then it has been amended for several times so in 2013 it was amended once in 2015 the rules of law came and then in 2018 there was also some amendment in the law so now uh, there are more op opportunities or in the law there are more options to be organized to get organized there are frameworks how the workers can get organized uh, how the freedom of speech or freedom of organization will be protected uh, there are uh, good articles strong articles on how when a company or factory has more than 50 workers how it will work with the dialogue with the communication with the workers. Uh, it has to have uh, equal amount of people from management and from the workers representing, uh, workers representatives, and they have to discuss all possible issues within the factories, not the wage, because some of the bigger issues are part of uh, collective bargaining, which is also, we have seen, non-existent in Bangladeshi context yet. Uh, so there are uh, good laws and if as soon as it will start implementing, government will start implementing those more seriously, uh, more with more strict rule of law, I think the situation will get better yeah. or much more better. Yeah. Um, I was also thinking, we actually reflected on, upon this, uh, we had a um, seminar last week about uh, consumption and production and we said that we uh, if we look at this as uh, some kind of a cycle you know from the production consumption mm -hmm. angle of it and then you get to the recycling or reuse mm -hmm. bit you were talking about a little, uh, little bit about it but uh, is that an ongoing discussion where you work at Naturskutsvillingen Alexander? Uh, um, yeah of, of, of course I mean uh, Circular economy is is a constant, constantly ongoing discussion. Yeah. The problem I have with that is that there's, that's, um, there's as a, as a good illustration of circular economy as a butterfly, where we have the sort of the, the loops back to the system and instead of having a linear economy, it sort of loops back into itself. And at, at, the, at, the, at the top, there's the sort of inputs, and, and at the end, it's a waste. And when we talk about circular economy, um, not necessarily FNC, but but you know the, the mainstream uh, discussions on, on circular economy, it's it's always focused on the bottom end of that mm. butterfly. It's always about recycling. How how should we do with our stuff when when we don't need it mm. more, or when when we don't want it more, when it's you know broken? Uh, it's never ever about the inputs to the to the economic system. Mm. And, but that is really where we need to focus. Um, so, I mean, circular economy is a, it's a nice thought in theory. It's yeah, a nice yeah, thought. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's also an important um, point or issue about climate justice. I think it's quite apparent in goal number 12. Um, climate justice as perhaps, perhaps something um, talking about Western so-called glo um, global south, it, it's uh, sort of an, maybe an outdated perception or a description. But yet, um, 
I mean, when you spoke about Bangladesh and also about the ambition to transition to a middle-income country, um, I mean, it's maybe an apparent, uh, very visible in, in that case. What would you say, in the light of this uh, uh, ambition of transitioning, what would be the main challenges there in, in terms of doing it sustainable? I think the challenge that what we are reading and what the government, the government has taken steps that, okay, the uh, acquiring land for special economic zones because the special economic zones are expected to have uh, diversified industries. Uh, and for that, a lot of construction going on, lots of uh, hundreds and thousands of acres of land has been acquired and then there would be construction. There are uh, water, they, they are, the government is converting the agricultural land, the very biodiversity rich water bodies into the construction sites or into, into the local economic zone. So in a country or such a country like Bangladesh, which is already vulnerable to climate change, yeah. and when it will bring more economic more industries and more economic growth in this way by giving away one pillar and to strengthen the other pillar, it will never stay. I think we need all three pillars to stay in a stable or sustainable position. So for Bangladesh, I think in each and every contract or each and every decision plan either it's bilateral, either it's industry level, either it's national, international level. Bo all three pillars should be in the core of the agenda, especially the human, when the human rights will be the core, will be the natural process, uh, will be integrated naturally within all the uh, memorandum of understanding with all the new deals with all, with all the new agreements, then all the other two, economy and environmental justice will come together. So sometimes I feel that the human rights is the core of all things because uh, when you talk, human are, the, or the human being will be impacted either if you take care of the economy or not, either if you take care of the environment or not. So if you don't take care of the environment, of course the environment will be destroyed, but the impact will come to the human. Mm. So if you start from understanding the rights of the human to have a livable planet or have a livable area, then you will the environmental part will justice will definitely integrate it. Okay. So I think that's how you can, or the government can address the challenges. And also just, you know, just to refer to, to climate justice. I mean, it's, it's a very real concept. It's, I mean, if, if you think about the, the graph I show with the um, footprint and the, and the human development, I mean, it's the global north up there and it's the global mm. south. Mm down there and, and, and that is and that's that's the, the reality mm. we but it's mm. you know our um, our prosperity that that it's that has been fueled by by, by fossil fuels and mm. yeah <laughs> literally 
Um, thank you both. Uh, I would actually like to open up for questions from the audience. So please raise your hand if you have a question for the panel. All right, I'll start <laughs> so you can formulate them. Um, I was wondering, you said again about um, um, reframing mm. the concept in a way, but if you, if you get to look, um, look into the future, uh, especially even though the Agenda 2030 might not be like the, um, the answer to everything obviously, but <laughs> still, uh, what do you expect like in the next coming years? What do you think will happen? Uh, I mean, uh, um <laughs> going towards 2030. I mean, I, th I think that the agenda, and I think that when, when you read goal 12, when you read the targets, it's, it's on, so it, it's very much on setting the structures. It's on MNCP, uh, corporation reporting. It's on um, implementing SCP's policies, but it's not on what those policies should be, should consist of. It's mm. not about the, the quality of those policies. So, uh, and, and SDG 12 is that goal that has gotten the least financing of all 17 goals, uh, or, or maybe of the 16, I'm not mm. sure, the last mm. goal. Yeah, but the piece. Sorry? The last goal? Or yeah, the it the may, I don't know if the, that goal conflict. 17 is included there, but it's yeah, one of the, the yeah. least financed yeah. goals. Um, but yeah, it, it, I, th I think it comes down to to what, what I said at the beginning, and that it's, in reality, it's achieving SDG 12 won't be that hard. There are some targets that would be very hard, but those aren't really written in a strong language. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, but on the other hand, I think that there will also be a growing recognition that this is not enough, that this is a, an agenda that leaves accountability out, that mm. leaves people's rights out, and that there will be a, a, a resistance yeah. against SDG 12 to shape the um, reality of the understanding of sustainable consumption and production. Yeah. And you, especially with the <laughs> 2021 target as well, but yeah. also in, in the light of 2030 agenda. Yeah. Uh, before I answer your question, I would like to ask you that when you go for shopping to buy your clothes, how many of you look at the this label and see okay where this thing is made? Like, <laughs> it's good, it's great, but do you ask any question about okay if this is in Bangladesh, how is the position? How why it's so cheap and. Why, if it's from if it's from Taiwan or China or Spain or Portugal, it's not. Maybe it's the similar item, a T-shirt. But have you ever thought of asking this question to the store manager? Or have you got any answer? Yeah, I don't ask because I. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, I, if I ask uh, the persons who works in the store, they don't 
often have the answer, so mm -hmm. I Google it. Yeah. And I have some brand that I buy on sale because they're yeah. really expensive. You probably to have quality. And if you, if, if you want to have a, a brand that works with the, uh, Human Rights Incorporative, so you have to look further. Mm. Can I just say one thing yes, about please. what you said, Alexander, uh, on the individual uh, level, mm. what we all can do, that's also where Greta works. It, I think the <laughs> one problem is that we are people, all of us are very short-sighted. Because if you have a car, I don't have a car, and I haven't had a car for like 25 years, yes. <laughs> uh, but if you have a car and you turn the engine on, and it's like nothing happens. You can't, you can't see it, right? Mm -hmm. But if it would be like 10 birds would burst down on the car and damage your car, and then you will have to pay, then you wouldn't start the car. So you see what I mean? If I buy a shirt at H&M, nothing happens. Mm -hmm. So that's the problem. <laughs> you have to think before you buy. You have to think where, how, affects whom. Do I want to be in this change, chain? So you have to make a statement more often because if nothing happens when you buy or do things, then we will go on and on until we are in a, like these movies, you know, about flooding and all that. It's, we were going. We we are going on that path. So that's it. Thank you. Do you want to comment on that, Alexander? Well, no, I, I agree. Mm -hmm. I'm 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 not saying that individual choice isn't important. I'm just saying that um, the framing of the SCP agenda has been framed only around individual choice and not um, challenging the system. And mm -hmm. and just you know the comment on cars. That, yeah. I mean, I, the function of a car and a coal-fired power plant is the same, you know. Mm. But yep. mm. the the key and, and start the engine and and the the power plant starts start to work and and I mean the electrification of uh, of, of the transport sector. If if you don't have clean energy, you just move the combustion engine from the car to the you know. Mm. Uh, but, but to somewhere else. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would also say that it's the power of the individual as well. Like when you are alone, you don't see that what are the what is the impact or what are the impacts in the entire chain or some part of the chain somewhere else. But when now, as the time is running out or as the time time is approaching towards 2030, uh, more and more people are getting aware of these <coughs> issues. And where my, I think my answer is that n the companies are trying to cherry pick. If we have 17 agenda, of course, I am as a company cannot solve all the problems. I will only take health, education, and something, a third one. Oh, I will take the uh, partnership and multi-stakeholder but that is not going to work. You, it's a framework, of course it has 17 targets, but it's a holistic approach. So when you will work as a company, as a private sector, as an investor, 
even as an individual, when you save your money, your pension money, whatever, the banks, what are they doing with your money? This is a very important question. Where are they investing your money? How that money is going to impact? So when you make that as a holistic, and that is what Sweetwatch is trying to push for, is don't start with cherry picking. And then you report like, oh, we have so good living wage and we have so good uh, social criteria. Our factories are very good. There is no worker. All the workers are getting their uh, salary on time. But that particular, then you are leaving the issue that when that particular worker is working for 12 hours a day in that factory, what is happening to the kid? The, the child cannot go to school. The child cannot have three meals a day. The child cannot have a decent toilet where that person can go and not having a, any disease. So you cannot leave those alone. And for Bangladesh as well, that what I say, that if you if the country only takes only consider the economic growth as its strength to go forward, it mm. will never work. Mm. Yeah, no, I just, um, I'm sorry that I took up my cell phone. I just, I, mm. I just thought of something because, you know, every now and then there are news about um, how corporate, how, how, you know, many corporations that are responsible for this and that much of, of global emissions. And just, just early today, there was, was a report released that 20 corporations are accountable of do you know? I know. It's yeah, it's 100 corporations for 70% of okay. global carbon emissions. Global emissions. Right. So, uh, yeah, and, and that was released just, just today. But then, I mean, the framing around that is not really the 100 corporations that are responsible. They work within um, a governing system. But they, they, they work within, within systems where they um, are allowed to, to release those emissions in, into the atmosphere. Um, and they work on demand, on, on consumer demand, and of course, consumer choice is is so important in that uh, in that in that um, aspect. Mm. Um, but also, uh, the accountability of governments, where we mm. shape the systems in which the corporations are allowed to allowed to function. Mm. So I'm I'm a bit opposed to the framing of that. These hundred corporations are accountable or are responsible. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Any questions? Yeah. Yes. So this is a question for Sanjida. Um, when it comes to investigating the different supply chains, uh, how difficult is it to acquire information? Thinking about yeah traceability. Yeah, it's a good question because we are also struggling with the tra traceability and we are also pushing the companies to be more transparent about their suppliers, sub-suppliers, as much as they can go. So there are many companies. Uh, now when I'm saying companies, it's I'm more uh, uh, or talking about the clothing companies uh, that they publish their suppliers list uh, we have also experienced that uh, after our communication or our report has been published or there was maybe a round table or many different uh, level of communication, some companies published their uh, 
supplier list. Uh, that is what we want from the companies. But from the beginning, when we didn't know that what what are the companies that we could link to, uh, for the uh, garment ready-made garment sector, when we started talking to the workers, uh, we showed them at the beginning. We used to show them the level level of the company or the brand. Oh, I know this. I work. I made this, or I make product for this, or I do a part of that particular product. But uh, our strength in this case has always been our local partner. Um, so this investigation is always on them. So they try to figure out or find out which are the factories, which are the workers that has linked with uh, the companies that if we want to uh, even three years ago, we were only targeting the uh, Swedish companies, Swedish brands, but now with the CEDA money or uh, condition opened up, so we can now uh, target the global companies as well, uh, European companies or any global companies. Hopefully next year we can target Chinese and Indian companies <laughs> as well. <laughs> They're the most difficult ones, but... Uh, um, yeah, transparency and traceability is very important and it's very challenging because that, that is where the companies hesitate the most. Any other questions? Um, for what I have seen uh, in working in industry, uh, I saw that often people working in different industries, they don't really... Uh, know how to interpret the sustainability development goals and they don't know how uh, what their company uh, is doing to relate to them, what they need to measure, what are the alternatives that they can uh, find and so on. So I wonder how do your organizations uh, work with companies to try to assist with this? Do you have... Um. It's, it is a good question, and I think uh, that is also the main reason why, why uh, at least I chose to have Greta on the, on the wall, <laughs> because she, what she's done is that she has managed to move the climate movement from something that, you know, a very few people globally very few people were involved with to something mainstream that she has she has raised awareness on on climate issues in a way that we that's you know been working on it for for a number of years never never managed and you know she, what she's saying listen to the science um because it's all out there but and then of course it's the matter of understanding it um and I don't, I, yeah i think there there is that a lot more should be done by organizations in civil society by the industry by um you know any initiative working with popular education um i know that SNCC. um I mean, we work with individuals. We work with, we have a few collaborations with um, corporations, but that's not our main area of 
of work. Um, but you know, we work with the schools, which mm -hmm. is where the workers of tomorrow are are being raised. Um, but yeah, no, it's 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 a good question, and it's I don't have a good answer to it more than you know the, the as you say the need for further engaging, um, further promoting, further raising awareness. Um, not, not a good answer, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I would say that there are, when you are uh, from a an, an company or part of a bigger industry, uh, there are always, if for SMEs as well, like if it's a small and medium-sized company that you are talking about, that it's a, it's a lack of opportunity, resource to put into for more uh, educate the staff or educate the employees more. So uh, this is also one aspect that the companies has the responsibility to educate their employees on these issues so that it becomes a culture. So sometimes the companies say we are so small, we don't have that resource. Uh, if you like, when especially the clothing companies, when we come out and say, "Oh yes, H and M will do that because they have so much resource, they have put so much resource on this, and this it is very uh, easy for them to solve." But for the smaller organizations, there are uh, associ business associations. There are many training programs, many organizations who offer trainings. Mm -hmm. uh, in, on sustainable development agenda, on sustainable development reporting, on sustainability reporting, on GD, mm. uh, GRI mm. reporting. So all kind of uh, trainings are there. Uh, it's just that what which you have to find out which industry are linked to which association that you can have those kind of mm. uh, information. Does that answer your question? Mm. Yeah. It's like uh, in aeronautics and in the car transportation, mm. because I was in one meeting where it was related to yeah, how the companies could uh, uh, affect these uh, development goals, and mm. I could see that people really didn't know mm. if they could affect pretty much any of those 17, mm. Maybe one or two, but not really clear. So I see that in general there is a lack of. Uh, yeah. Understanding. Yeah, but there are, of course, there are uh, many organizations who are uh, who are willing to give those type of trainings. And uh, for example, I can say that from Swedwatch, I go many places, or m many of our most of our researchers go to many forums or association where uh, they invite all the maybe business uh, partners, and then we can have a training because especially we give a lot of like trainings on the United Nations guiding principles on business and human rights yeah. uh, and the link to sustainable development. I think the school one that we are, have the material that Natsu mm. Cook's learning mm. and is also uh, backing up as well like to distribute and everything. So there are lots of organization and uh, many are commercial as well many commercial uh, trainings are also there. So mm. I don't know if your organization have such kind of trainings for the 
companies? Um, not for companies, but we have um, we actually have high school <laughs> lectures. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of our like we work both on research, but also on like what do you call it, like increasing in general knowledge mm. about knowledge in a way. Yeah. So one of them is obviously the SDGs, mm. the Sustainable Development mm. Goals. But um, mm. I think I think maybe what the the agenda is struggling with is like a broader general both understanding and yeah. awareness uh, knowledge mm. in general. Mm. I mean, maybe p people in this room, I, I presume, know knows about them, but it's I mean, yeah. it's um, pretty low knowledge in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I just, I just you know, just sort of um, uh, had a thought as well. You know, large corporations, they, they have seats at the sort of Agenda 2030 table. They, they can influence and, and be an active part. But in terms of, you know, those corporations that aren't on really that level, I think there's also a skepticism or, or a fear about working with sustainability, working with, with you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's workers, it's staff, you know, uh, engaging in sustainability because there's a fear of not being needed. You know, if, if we, we supply a market of product with, with products that aren't really needed or that aren't really sustainable, are we, you know, working against our own interests in, in engaging in sustainability issues? And, um, and I think, you know, of course we can't say, you know, we should never buy cars again because then, you know, hissing and would be unemployed. And, and that's, you know, we, we, we can't really do that. But that's not a reason. I mean, <laughs> that's, that, that should never be a reason for, for a, company to, to you know, not engage in sustainability issues, issues because then we have on the other hand for instance you know the, uh, the, the expansion plans of, of Prim and the refinery mm -hmm. in Lusashield yeah. which we're currently in lawsuit, lawsuit, lawsuit against but um, I mean Sweden have a, a, a national target of being of having a, a transport sector that is completely fossil free by 2030 and Prim want to expand the refinery in Lysergy. It's it sort of, it, it shows what they think about the, 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 uh, that ambition. <laughs> um, so there is such a, such a large scale here. And, um, and, and, and I mean, yeah, the reasons for engaging are, they are growing, I think, for every day. All right, uh, I think we're starting to run out of time, but I would like to ask you for one last thing, if you could just summarize in a way the, what the audience should bring with them um, from tonight in a minute. The main message, main takeaways. Do you want to start, Sanjida? Yeah, I think from Sweetwatch point of view, I would really ask you to ask questions, use your power as an individual, as a consumer, uh, because that will push the companies to do more and just ask for the truth and true cases, what is happening, read, uh, try to know more and don't depend on other people will give you information. I think rather read for yourself, try to understand what's happening, take help if you don't understand some things, uh, talk to your 
neighbor friends, families, so they will know and with your children so that they will start thinking from the beginning. And yeah, you, private sector has the power to influence, private sector has the power to employ. So they also needs to take the responsibility to contribute. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, no, uh, <laughs> you're here, so you're already doing more than the most, mm. uh, which I think is brilliant. But I think, I mean, it, again, Greta Thunberg, I mean, it, in get involved, um, discuss with coworkers, colleagues, family, friends. I mean, I, as I, as I said in the beginning, I, I really don't know everything about this. There, there are so many gaps here for me. But I don't think that a corporate giant knows everything. I don't think that a, you know, high-level senior politician knows everything. But I think we need the discussions. We need the dialogues in every part of society. Um, so keep engaging. Good. <laughs> thank you. And um, thank you again for your presentations and your thoughts on these issues. I'm sure we'll get back to them soon again. And thank all of you for coming. And if you would like to join me in giving our panel a big round of applause. Thank you. Find us on www.ui.se. We are also on Facebook and on Twitter with UI Sweden. And we're also on YouTube where you can watch our seminars and interviews.